Masechet Ketubot, Afyod Aleph, we begin the Mishnah on top, Hagiyodet, Veshibuya, Veshifcha, Shenifdu, Veshinit Gayeru, Veshinish Tachreru, Pechutot, Mibenot, Shalosh, Shanim, Veyomehad, Ketubatan, Mataim, Veshlahem, Tanat, Betulim. We have three categories of women where if um, they uh, they are all suspected of having bi'ah before they are married. The one number one is giyodet, someone who's a convert. Uh, so when she was not Jewish, they don't have the same laws and same morality, and so uh, we suspect that she um, is not a bitula because once once upon a time she wasn't Jewish. So and then shivuya, someone who's taken a Jew, who, a Jewish w- woman who was taken in capt- captivity. Often the captors will violate the the uh, uh, people that the woman that they take. So we assume that also she is no longer a bitula. It's against her will, but still she's not. A She's not a betula. Shivcha means a shivcha uh, kenanit. So she wasn't Jewish. She became a shivcha. As a shivcha, uh, they also don't uh, live up to the standards of law and morals, even though she becomes freed. And when she becomes freed, she's fully Jewish. So that's all these three. Now, if you notice, the nouns are not in the same order as the verbs. The first two are switched. It says shenifdu. That applies to the second one, shivuya. Shintgairu applies to the first, hagiyoret. So that's curious why it switched. The Ritva says, it mentions Giyodet first because that's the highest level. She came and decided she's going to convert and come to Judaism. So she's mentioned first because she gets the most honor. Uh, but when it comes to the actions, to free a captive, that's the greatest mitzvah for us to do, uh, more than to convert someone. So it goes in order of importance of the person or importance of the, of the action. Anyway, the point is that all these three people, we're going to see later on that if, if they were more than three years old when they converted or when they were captured, then we have to assume that they are be'ula, not betula anymore. But if this happens before they are three years old in one day, then even if there was some act when they were that, uh, that young, we assume that that will not affect them. It's not considered a sexual act. The, their betulim will grow back. And therefore, it doesn't matter. And so they still get 200, like any betula. And also, the groom, if he doesn't find that there is blood, he can come and claim, hey, she's not a betula, I want my money back. And we don't, we don't tell him, well, hey, you knew she was a convert, so you knew that there was a possibility. No, since it was before three, uh, she is the same as someone who is a betula. Okay, so that's the Mishnah, Gemara. Ravuna says a halacha. In general, we're going to ask a question about him from our Mishnah. That's why it's related. He says that a, a child who converts, uh, he, we can convert him, even though he's a child. In order to convert, you have to agree to it. You can't be converted against your will. And generally, a minor cannot agree to something. Nevertheless, the betin can authorize it. They will oversee. They can be the legal guardians. We're going to see in a minute, this is talking about a case where the father doesn't. There's two options. Either a father, they're all converting. The father is converting the children. In this case, well, the Gemara is going to conclude that there's no father around. So the betin is converting this child. That's a valid conversion. That's what Rav Huna says. Now, my Kamash Malan, we ask Rav Huna, isn't this obvious? It's meritorious to be Jewish. And there's a general law that you can merit, you can do merit for someone even if they're not there. Tanena, we know it from a Baraita, it's actually a Mishnah. 
We can do something good for a person without their consent. Like if there's a, you know, I find something in the street and I say, oh, that person would, would like this. I can pick it up on their behalf and they fully own it. I can, if it's a good deal, a good stock to buy, and I know this person would benefit from it, I can buy it without his knowledge and it's a valid acquisition. But you cannot make someone liable without their agreement. And so therefore, since being Jewish, is a is a meritorious thing you don't need their permission and that's why obviously a child can be converted the betin can convert them even without their agreement even if they it doesn't really matter if the child agrees or not because his agreement isn't worth um uh, isn't uh it, it doesn't matter um okay so isn't in this obvious we already know it from a basic principle why why do you have to tell us that because I would have thought that actually a non-Jew may be happy being hefked, doing whatever he wants, having the freedom to not have be under the a burden of all the laws, and he can act, act, act as he will. After all, we do know that's true for an Eved, a slave. Um, is it proper, an Eved Kanani? Uh, can we free the Evid Kanani without his knowledge? You might think, oh, of course, everybody, everybody would rather be, rather be free than a slave. On the other hand, by becoming free, he becomes Jewish and therefore bound by all the laws. As an Evid, he is not bound by any of these laws. He can act any way he wants. And so, actually, if you ask some Avadim, they would say, no, I'd rather not have the rules. It's better, that's uh, I'm more free as a slave. So, therefore, it's not necessarily true that making someone Jewish is is a merit for them that they would for sure agree. That's what we would have thought. Kamash Malan, that's why Rav Huna says, that that law that a, in a, that a Goy would prefer to remain not Jewish and not be under the law, that's only if he's an adult and he already tasted the taste of prohibition. So he already tasted what a cheeseburger is like. He's already um, been around and he says, I like this life. Now, for, for now, I don't want to bound myself. But if it's a child, and the child did not yet uh, sleep with anyone and doesn't know what that's like, so for him, for that, we know we we assume that it's meritorious that he'll be bound by Jewish law and he'll marry properly uh, within kiddushin and chuppah, and that's a good thing. It's actually good for everyone. And as long as he's a child and hasn't tasted sin yet, they will he will certainly agree. So therefore, we do apply zachin adam shalav to conversion, and that's Rav Huna's thinking. Fantastic. Okay. Now lema mesayeh le hagiyoret veshevuya veshivcha sheniftu shintkayiru veshenish tachredu. Uh, so let's bring a support for Rav Huna from our Mishnah. Because after all, it says, we're going to focus here on Giyorit, that if she is less than three years old, she uh, can be converted. And we consider her a betula, that's a, the side point. Um, but the fact that she is converted, so that's very significant. Uh, my love, that Belinu Aldat Betin. So, how did she convert? Aren't we talking about that the Betin said, you know what, we think it's good for you to convert, so we will accept your conversion for you. And so, that's a proof that children can convert based on the authority of Betin because we assume it's, merit, it's a merit for them.
And we answer, Lo hacha b'mayaskinan b'ger shenit gayeru banav u'benotav imo t'nicha lehu b'may David abuhon. So not necessarily. We could be talking about a case where the father uh, and his children all converted together. And uh, everyone is happy with what their father does. And that was the father, his children are his, are his property, are under his authority. So whatever a father does for the children, that the, the children go along with. The father is the legal guardian. He's authorized to make decisions on behalf of the child. Whether it's good for them or not good for them, he's going to make their financial decisions, and so it's binding in that way. So therefore, there's no proof there. So yes, for sure, a father can convert his whole family with his kids, uh, but it's not no proof from here that a betin can convert someone without the father. Uh, so there's no no question about against Ravuna, but also no proof. Okay, good. Now Amad Av Yosef. When a child uh, converts, and this sounds like he's talking about no matter what, either with Betin or with the father, when the child grows up, he can protest and say, I, listen, you converted me when I was a kid, but now that I'm uh, uh, you know, 12 and a half or, uh, for a girl or 13 for a boy, he grows up adult and says, you know what, I, I really don't want to. And then he goes back to being not Jewish and retroactively that he was never Jewish at all. Yes, he has, because he has to agree to it. Good. That's Rabbi Yosef's rule. From our very Mishnah that says that uh, someone who converted, a girl who converted when she was under three years old, and then she gets married, um, uh, whenever, whenever, at whatever point she gets married, she uh, still she gets 200 uh, zoos as a betula. Here's the question. And if you think that she can protest and uh, turn away her Judaism, would we still give her a ketuvah of 200 zoos and she's going to go and spend it as a non-Jew? We only gave it to her because Jewish women, Jewish wives get a ketuvah. So it was given to her under Jewish law meant for Jews. And now she, she took the money and ran. And now she's a non-Jew and accepted that money. So that couldn't be possible. And therefore, uh, it looks like that one cannot protest and uh, change their mind, right? Let's get the timeline. It means that someone was born not Jewish. They converted when she was, she converted when she was two years old. She married when she was uh, uh, five years old. And then she divorced when she's 10 years old. She's going to get that money when, uh, she's, when, she's third, when she's 12 and a half. She's going to say, no, I don't want to be Jewish anymore, but she keeps the 200 zoos. But since she wasn't, met, she wasn't Jewish the whole time, she, because uh, now she protested, she shouldn't be able to keep that money. Yet the Mishnah said, we do give her the money. So therefore, that seems like it means that she cannot protest. Okay, we answer, you're right. You know what we do? We put the money in escrow until she becomes an adult. And if she does not protest, then, uh, then we'll release the money to her. But we're not going to give it to her just in case. She will protest. Well, now we ask, Wait, maybe when she's an adult, uh, uh, at some point, whenever she's an adult, she may protest. Because right now we're thinking that she doesn't have to protest right away. She can wait till, I don't know, she's 30, 40, 50 years old. She says, you know what? 
I, prote I protest. You only did it when I was young, and now I'm going to... So if you re release the money when she's uh, 13 years old, but then she protests when she's 20 years old, she's still going to have that money, and she wasn't Jewish. So the answer is, No, we all, she only gets a short window of time. Once she becomes an adult at uh, 12 or so years old, then we give her, uh, I don't know how much time, Shachat doesn't mean literally one hour, I don't know, it's a few days or something, and we, you know, we'll ask her, and she doesn't protest, then she cannot protest any longer. Okay, this is very interesting halacha. We should talk about, you know, what, what exactly is this window of time, and how do we, do? is it a formal question that we ask? Do we have to inform her of the punishments and uh, rewards, like we would for a, for a convert? Now that she's an adult, we have to kind of review and do some of that process in front of a betin, so she agrees to it. Or is it that we look at her actions? If she is acting like a non-Jew, she's not keeping Shabbat, you know, but at that time, or then that shows that she wants to be now if she's keeping Shabbat and doing other things that are Jewish actions then that shows through actions that she agrees to it uh, what if she was didn't know that she was a convert until she's older maybe she was adopted the parents never told her until she was 20 years old so by the way you're adopted you were born not Jewish what I never got a chance to protest so maybe she can still protest as soon as she finds out Okay, so all these halachot are uh, sometimes actually happen, and so this is very, very interesting. Um, uh, all right, so now we, we solve that problem. Mativ Rava. But now we're going to have another challenge. The first challenge was uh, said by Abaye. Rava is going to say a very similar challenge against Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef again said that when a child grow becomes an adult, they can protest their conversion. So Rava challenges it from another Mishnah. The following are, are uh, uh, eligible to receive a fine if they are raped. Generally, a rapist um, has to, uh, rape, if someone rapes a Nara, he has to marry her. Um, which sounds strange, but the idea is that he has to now take care of her and pay for her, all her needs for her whole life, and he cannot divorce her. So that's actually, you know, a, a lot of money that he's going to have to pay and take care of her whole life. But if she doesn't want to, if the father of the bride doesn't want, of the of the woman that was, girl that was raped, doesn't want to, then he has to pay a fine. He has to pay for the amount of bitulim, because now she's no longer a bitula, and she won't be able to get that amount when she does get married. So that's the fine. Now, these people also get a fine, even though you might think not. Uh, so uh, someone rapes a mamzeret. Now mamzeret, the rapist cannot marry her, assuming the rapist is a regular Jew. And so he could say, you might think he could say, well, I would marry her, but I'm not allowed the mamzeret, so I shouldn't have to pay the fine. No, that's not the, that's not the, that's not true. You're the one that raped her, so you still get the fine, even though you could not marry her, even if you wanted to. Same as Nitinan Kuti to our converts that is something problematic about their conversion not fully con not fully converted and also they are not allowed to marry a regular jew uh, nevertheless they would get a fine from the uh, ones the rapist and also the three categories of women that we already had in our mishnah that if uh, someone converted under three years old or she was taken captive a, Jew, a jewish woman taken captive under three years old or someone who was freed under three years old uh, so therefore even if there was some 
become bi'ah when they were that young, it doesn't matter, their bitulim grow back and they're still called bitulot, and therefore the rapist uh, who... Uh, the, the, uh, who, who raped them when they were already older still has to pay the fine because we assume that they were betulot and now he broke their betulim so he owes the fine. Good, that's the Mishnah. And if you say that they can always, focusing specifically now on the convert, if the convert can protest once she becomes an adult and say, you know what, I don't want to be Jewish at all, so should does she deserve to get the fine as a betula? Now she's not Jewish, so she's not going to marry a Jew, she's not going to get a ketubah, it's not going to make a difference if she gets 200 or 100 or anything. So the rapist might say, oh, she might become, she might end up not being Jewish, why should I pay her a fine? If, uh, if there's a chance that she's going to protest her Judaism. And so therefore, it must be the, uh, that this is Rav Yosef is wrong, uh, that a child, if she's converted by her father, by a betin, then it sticks, right? Just like everyone, someone who's born Jewish, we don't have the option to opt out when we become bar mitzvah. So too, it sticks, and that's the only way that we can understand that she would deserve the fine. Uh, so we answer, same as before, you know what, we keep the fine in escrow until she becomes an adult and we see she doesn't change her mind, then we'll give her the money. Wait a second, maybe she'll wait till she's older and then protest later. So at what point are you going to give her the money? The answer is, no, once there's a, a short period of time after she becomes an adult, and we check check it out, and she doesn't protest. Then that's it. The pro, the window of opportunity closes, and she cannot protest any longer. Then she's fully Jewish her whole life, and then at that point we can give her the fine and give her the money. Okay. Last point about this Mishnah: How can we have both of these questions by Abaye and Rava? They're so similar. How come each one didn't ask the question of the other? Abaye lo amar kerava hatam kenasa. Abaye did not ask the question of Rava, the second, the, the second question, because that is a fine. Hainu tama shelo yehechote niskad. There, you can argue that we want the rapist to pay, because he did something terrible, and so he should pay as a punishment, even if the woman in the end will protest and become not Jewish, and she really doesn't deserve receiving it. Nevertheless, he, we want him to pay, so that will uh, prevent uh, people from doing that the crime in the future. So therefore, that's that, he didn't ask that question. And Rava lo amar ketubah didn't ask Abaye's question because he would say, listen, there's, the rabbis wanted to have a ketubah. The reason is so that husbands will not treat their wives lightly and divorce them for any old reason and they, if they could because there's no financial require if there's no financial requirement so we require ketubah so that if he wants to divorce you you can always you can always get divorced but you're gonna have to pay this amount and then they'll treat their wives uh, more seriously now that is a value in and of itself even if the woman ends up protesting and becomes not Jewish nevertheless during the time that they're married he will know that he has to pay the ketubah and he'll treat her nicely and so therefore, Ravad did not ask Abayah's question because he, he might say, even if you, even if she can be, even if she can protest and become not Jewish, still it's worthwhile for a man to have to pay a Ketuvah document. All right, fantastic.
Now we get to the next Mishnah. Hagadol Shebaala Ketana, Vekatan Shebaala Gedola, Umukat Aetz, Ketubatan, Mataim, Debre Rebi Meir. Um, all right, so now we're defining what an act of bi'ah is. What is legally considered an act of bi'ah? Um, we're not talking about morally if these are right or wrong things to do. We just want the definition. And so an adult who has bi'ah with a, with a kitana, kitana means under three years old, we consider that not an act of bi'ah, not developed enough, or bitulim will come back. And so therefore, uh, whatever it is, it's not bi'ah. For example, if uh, you know it was... Um, uh, Arayot uh, or something like that, we would not consider the gadol liable because it's not an act of bi'ah. Or a male, if the male is a, is a child, for this we define it as under nine years old. Uh, the male uh, is not uh, yet um, uh, developed that he can have an act of bi'ah if he's less than nine years old. So if he does some, whatever you call it, um, uh, 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 some kind of intercourse with an adult woman that's not defined as Mukat etz, or if a woman uh, lost her uh, her hymen was broken by a by a by a tree by a stick, um, not by bi'ah with a person. All these people are considered betulot, and they get two hundred zoos according to the bimeir. So that's the point. So the the under three years old with the girl that we already saw in the previous, and so this is a chidushir that the boy who's with a gedola. It would seem that the Bimeir would say this even if he, even if she did see blood from that interaction. Uh, nevertheless, it's, it seems to be the same as Mukat'etz, where she doesn't have a Betulim anymore, technically, uh, but it was not from a man. It was not through Bi'ah. And so, too, with a child, we don't consider that Bi'ah. Okay, um, that's the words of Rabbi Meir. He disagrees. Even though it was not through Bi'ah, but physically she has no more Betulim, and so therefore she only gets a hundred. And it doesn't really matter why, uh, the, you know, it's more... Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I guess uh, Rabbi Meir would say it's more psychological um, and uh, you know as long as the groom knows that she was never with she never did bi'ah and she doesn't have a betulim okay but it was never through bi'ah so he's okay with it whereas Chachamim are focusing uh, say we focus more on the technicality that the groom would expect and um, uh, demand that there actually be betulim and if there's no betulim even if it was not, not through bi'ah he, he, would, he only wants to pay a hundred Okay. Um, what you see is there's something missing. What do Chachamim say about the other two cases? From a Peshat point of view, it looks like they only disagree on Mukat Etz is Maneh, but the other two cases, maybe Chachamim would agree, is Mataim. But the Gemara will discuss this Machloket here further. Next case, Betula Almana Amina Nisuin Ketuvatan Maneh. If you have someone who's a Betula, she was a Betula, and then she gets married, meaning she has a wedding ceremony. But the husband dies soon after, right? In the middle of the dancing, the husband dies. And so now she's an almana, even though she is a betula. But it's after nisuin. We saw, we saw earlier that if it's after kiddushin, she remains a betula. But once she does nisuin, we assume that she's like a beula and she only gets a hundred. Um, also gerusha, even if it's soon after the wedding, right? The, they do the wedding ceremony. I don't know. He said something uh, mean to her, whatever. And he divorces her. Uh, even if we, there's no evidence that they had bi'ah together, nevertheless, because they did the wedding ceremony, she's considered be'ola. 
Chalusa uh, the same thing. Chalusa for sure, because she's already an almana. And furthermore, Chalusa. So all these only get 100. And the groom, the next, if she, when she gets remarried to a second guy, the groom cannot come and claim, hey, I thought you were a Betula, I didn't see any blood, I'm not paying you. No, he has to know, since she was married already, he has to assume that there's no Betulim. And so he makes no claim. This is the opposite of the Mishnah that we started with today. If someone was a convert or uh, converted when she was more than three, or was taken captive when she was over three, or if she was freed from a being shifcha kanaanit when she's more than three, then we suspect that there was she did have bi'ah and she was more than three years old and therefore she doesn't have betulim. So ketuvatan maneh, like a second marriage, she only gets a hundred ve'en latanat betulin and. Um, the husband cannot come and complain that she has no bitulim because that's what we assume in the first place. All right, so the Mishnah gives the basic uh, outline. And now, Amarav Yehuda Amarav. Katan haba'ala gedola asa'a mukat es. So Rav and Shimon are going to have a machloket where they further define that first case um, uh, that we had. Rabbi uh, Meir said all three cases uh, mataim, uh, boy, young boy, young girl. Or mukat es is all mataim, and Chachamim disagreed only on the on the uh, mukat es. So Rav says that if it's a katana bala gedola, that's the same as mukat es, and also that would be two hundred. Uh, so if who was he talking about for Rabbi Meir? Rabbi Meir actually already said that they're all two hundred. Sounds like he's talking about four Chachamim, and we'll ask a question in a second. Wait a second, Chachamim didn't say anything about. So it sounds like he agrees with Tanakama. Okay, so that's Rav. Um, the point is that the Katan, as nine, under nine years old, his member is not considered a member. It's like the same as a, as a piece of wood. When Rav Yuda said what Rav said to Shemuel, Rav Yuda was a, was a student of both Rav and Shemuel. So he repeated what Rav said to Shemuel, and Shemuel said, I disagree. And he said, and, uh, you can't be a mukat with basar. If it's, if it's from flesh, even if it's a katan, and he's not less than nine years old, still that's considered flesh, and it's not considered a mukat and no, therefore the law would not be the same as mukat Okay, that's one version of the machloket. It's also repeated in another version. Some repeat it in and of, by, by itself without Rav Yehuda quoting them as follows: The title: If a if a child nine years under nine years old has be'ah with a woman who's an adult, Rav said that is considered the same as mukat es. It would be the same law. Um, and Shemuel says, and Mukatas Babasad, Shemuel says, no, it's not the same law. Um, I guess, again, it's more psychological. You know, does the, the, the groom that he, she, eventually, he eventually, she eventually marries, um, it, it could be that if he, she says, listen, I had an accident one time uh, and uh, it's uh, through Mukat Es. It'll be okay, I don't care about that. But if she says it was with a Ch- person, even if it's a child, and even though it's not technically a matter of bi'ah, still he might say, "Oh, that's not what I didn't. I uh, I don't agree to that." 
Okay, anyway, um, so uh, there's two versions. There, there's no difference between the versions, uh, although it is interesting that the Gemara does record both of them, because uh, I would assume that the first one is the original, because the first one, you have Rav Yehuda, he goes to here, it tells the whole story, then he goes to Shemuel, and he receives Shemuel. And then it was summarized, because who cares about the story of how, how he got it and when he said what? We just want to know the bottom line. Rav says this, Shemuel says this. But this is a good example, probably in general, we usually hear uh, of traditions more in the second codified way. Um, and it kind of looks like, oh, they're sitting around and Rav and Shemuel are maybe speaking to each other and Rav says this and Shemuel tells him that. But you see from, from, the, from here that Rav and Shemuel are in fact not together and it's the student, Rav Yehuda, that's gathering both opinions. And then at some point later, uh, you lose the uh, student and the story and you get just the bottom line. So this is uh, actually instructive, even though the content is the same. Now, challenge. He's going to ask a question about Rav. All right, Rav who says that, it's that uh, the child, uh, the boy under nine is the same as Mukat Um So here, from the Mish- Mishnah. This Mishnah is coming up uh, uh, later, uh, soon, the next couple of Dapim. Gadol Sheba'ala Ketana Vekatan Sheba'ala Gedola Mukat Sorry, this is a question from our Mishnah, the Mishnah that we just read, uh, that said um, it's an adult with a young, a young adult man with a girl, or a boy with an adult woman. So Rebimeir says all three are the same. And so assuming that Av was explaining Chachamim, but Chachamim only disagree, and they say Kimukat Etz is Maneh, so presumably that means that they would agree that katana uh, bala gedola would be two hundred, and it's not the same. So Rav, how come you said that they're they're the same? And Rava says here I'll answer the question. If it's an adult male with a young girl less than three, then that's not considered an act at all. Again, this doesn't mean it's good or we're not, there's other, you know, other considerations. But the point is, um, for the bitulim, it's not considered that it breaks the bit. You still consider bitula because it's like someone who puts a finger in his eye. It'll irritate the eye, it'll make it tear but it will not do permanent damage to the eye. Uh, whereas if it's a boy under nine with an adult woman, that's the same as Mukat Aetz, and Mukat Aetz Gufa Peluktad Meir Vidabanan. And that itself, Mukat Aetz is a machlok Meir says, both of them are 200, and Abanan say, no 100. And so by reformulating the Mishnah, I don't think he means to change the words, he just means that this is what the Mishnah means to say. And so, in fact, the Machloket is about Mukat um, Etz and also about a Katan. Uh, so that will answer the, uh, the, the challenge uh, to Rav. Okay, very good. Now, Amar Rami Bar Hama. He says that the machloket between Chachamim and Chachamim uh, applies only when the husband, the groom, 
was aware before the mar before the kiddushin, before he signed the the ketubah, he knew that she was a mukat etz. We'll use that example. Bimeir uh, says, uh, since he knew, and so it's the same. Bogeret means an adult woman, a woman who's uh, more than twelve and a half, but she's still a bitula. So bogeret is the same as bitula. So even though technically she does not have bitulim because she's mukat etz, but the husband knew about it and accepted. Accepted it, so now she's like a betula, and therefore gets two hundred. Rabbanan medamula la beula. Rabbanan say no, she's like a beula. Technically, we physically she doesn't have a betulim, even though it was not through bia. Nevertheless, she's called beula. Okay, um, but that's all. Oh, that machloket only only applies when he was aware beforehand. But if she never told him, oh, listen, I, you know, one time I had an accident, and he didn't know, he only found out after the wedding, then she gets nothing. Because then he could say, this is I married you uh, thinking that, you're, that you actually have bitulim for whatever reason, and you never told me about that. I never agreed to it. So then everyone would agree that she gets nothing at all. That's Rami Barchama's stance. Okay, now we ask. How come Rabbi Meir says she's like a bit tula, even though she's mukat etz? Why don't you say she's like beula? Because after all, she has no betulim. So we answer beula it abed ba adam. In general, beula means someone who lost her betulim because of an action of a person. Here, she never had bi'ah, she was never with a person, it's because of a, a piece of wood. And so therefore, that doesn't count, and she's still considered a betula. Rabbanan, how come you compare a mukat uh, with uh, as a beula? Why don't you say she's like a betula because she was never with a man? And he'll say, Bogeret la itabed kelal. No, Bogeret, someone's a bitula means nothing happened to her at all. Not with bi'ah, not with an accident, zero. Ha itabed This person, woman who's mukatetz, still something happened to her. So he has a, uh, a stricter definition. Okay, so now we understand their machloket. And now uh, let's analyze Rami Barchama more. He said, If he, the groom, did not know that she had lost her betulim, even though it's through Bukates. If he didn't know about it beforehand, she gets nothing. And he finds out after, she gets nothing. Is that true? Here is a challenge. Mativ Rav Nachman. Uh, Rav Nachman is going to challenge Rami Barchama from a Mishnah that we're going to see in a couple of Dapim from now. That reads, He omered mukatas ani, vihu omer loki ela dirusat ish at. We have a case where the night after the wedding, uh, he finds no blood and they come to court and he says, I found no blood. So you see, he didn't know before. And then she says, you're right, there was no blood, but it's because mukat etz, right? I didn't uh, cheat under you. I didn't have be out with anybody ever, mukat etz. So therefore, I'm still, I should still get paid. And he says, no, I don't believe you. I think that you were with a man. And uh, you were with a man even after Kiddushin. And therefore, I am not paying you. Okay, what's the verdict? She is believed. Okay, so now if you say that she is believed, that she is mukat etz, 
that means she gets some money. She gets money if she's mukates, right? If mukates didn't get any money, um, and here's a case where lohi kirbah, he didn't know because that's why they're coming to court. That's why he's complaining. And nevertheless, she does get some money, whatever it is. And so this is a, a good challenge to Rami Barchama. Uh, so therefore, we Rava says I don't agree with Rami Barchama that mukat ayetz gets nothing. That's impossible to say that the Mishnah approves that she gets something. Rather, something similar to Rami Barchama, but he's elevating everything uh, according to the Bimeir. Whether the groom knew that she's Mukat Ayetz or didn't know beforehand, it doesn't matter. She gets 200. In other words, Mukat Ayetz is a valid excuse. She still has the status of a Betula because she was never with a man. And so this was an accident. It's not. It's meaningless. Always two hundred. Rabbanan, however, say that if he, he knew about it, she gets a uh, hundred. If he didn't know, then nothing. So according to this, uh, according to Rava, that Mishnah, the Mishnah on thirteen A that we just quoted, has to be the opinion of Bimeir that says she would at least uh, that uh, right opinion of Bimeir that Lohi Kirba gets two hundred. Okay, so that's uh, now. So according to Rava, even if he she he didn't know about it, according to Bimeir, she still gets two hundred if she is a mukat ayetz. That's Rava's position. But now we're going to note the Hadar Rava changed his mind regarding this. Okay, from here till the end of the daf is going to be one long proof that Rava changed his mind. Um, so let me tell you what he changed his mind to. He didn't change his mind to agree with Rami Bar Chama that she gets nothing. Rather, he changed his mind to say that she at least gets a hundred. If someone, if a woman is mukat ayetz and he didn't know about it before, then she doesn't get two hundred, but gets a hundred according to Chachamim, and uh, uh, and therefore in that re- retraction, the Mishnah that we just mentioned can be even according to Chachamim. Okay, so that's what we're going to try to prove that Avat changed his mind. So let's see the proof. Okay, so again, the case is he didn't know that she was Mukates beforehand. He found out afterwards. Um, and so far, Rava said um, that Kointa Chamim gets nothing. Let's see. Detanya. Um, and he changed his mind. Okay. Detanya. Kesad Hosaat Shemra. that says, What does it mean to slander someone? A groom comes to court and says to his father-in-law, "Listen, I did your, uh, uh, we consummated our marriage, and I did not find that your daughter has betulim. So therefore, I have a claim against you." If we, if there, uh, if there are witnesses that she, the bride, uh, cheated on him. After Kiddushim, that means Tachtav, after Kiddushim, then he only has to pay 100. Now we interrupt for a second. Hold on, if there are witnesses that she cheated on him, then she would, she would get, she, she gets Sikila for adultery, because it's considered adultery after Kiddushim, even before the Nisuin. No, okay, rephrase the Braita. Rather, if the witnesses say she cheated on him after the Kiddushin, then the punishment would be a stoning. But if she witnesses say she she was uh she uh, uh, had bi'ah with someone earlier before the Kiddushin, then she has to pay one hundred. So what do you see here? This is a case where he didn't know, and it's before the marriage, so she didn't she didn't do anything 
uh, uh, wrong. It's not, you know, it's not prohibited as adultery, and yet they get 100. So this would be equivalent to mukat aetz, and he didn't know that would be 100. Okay, so this is the Braita. Already you see the Braita is, um, is different from what Ava said. Now, uh, but this is not full, the pro, full proof yet that he changed his mind. Rav Sheshat says we can derive from that Braita. That in general, if someone marries thinking that his bride is a Betula, and it turns out she is a Beula, she still gets a hundred. You don't say mekach ta'ut and oh, I thought you were betula. I don't want to marry you at all. You get zero. No, because in general a beula would still get a hundred, and so she still gets a hundred. Uh, that's what Avsheshat derives from the Braita, which is a pretty good derivation. So far, so good. Now, Mativ Rav Nachman Rav Nachman challenges Rav Sheshat from another Mishnah that we're going to see on the next staff. And this Mishnah, similar to the, the Mishnah on Tudapim, says, They get married. That means he didn't know beforehand. And now he says, Hey, there's no Betulim. And he brings her to court. He omitted Mishe Erastani Neenasti Venista Fechefa Sadehu. She says, Sorry, but it was after the Kiddushin, that's when I was raped. That's why I have no Betulim. And it's too bad for you. Your field has been flooded. It's a phrase to mean that sometimes you have bad luck and you, you know, you were expecting to have something, but your crop got ruined. And therefore, I didn't trick you. I was telling you the truth. When we got, did Kiddushin and we signed the Ketuvah, I was in fact a Betula. And it was against my will because of uh, honest that this happened. I guess he's not a Kohen. And therefore, uh, you still have to pay me 200 zoos. That's her claim. And he says, no, I think that you were raped. I agree that you were raped. I don't think you did it on purpose. But I think it was before the Kiddushin. And you didn't tell me that you had lost your bitulim when at the time of Kiddushin, when we signed the Ketuvah. And therefore, the transaction is a mistaken transaction. Now, when you say, that means I'm returning the item for refund. Right? And therefore, she gets zero. Okay, um, so what we see from this Mishnah is that in a case where he didn't know beforehand if he would be if he would follow his claim, and he didn't know beforehand, then um, and turns out she's not a bitula, then she gets zero. So this is a challenge to Rav Sheshat. It's also a challenge to the Brayta that he's based on. And Rav Sheshat says, if he didn't know, you get a hundred. So what's going on? Can we find the answer to this? So that, this is Rav Nachman's question. Now, we're going to challenge Rav Nachman's question and give an answer to it also from the following story. Rav Avin is the one that quoted Rav Sheshat in the first place, but he's telling us the rest of the story too and says, if Shad, Rav Avin quoted Rav Sheshat, means he supports Rav Sheshat. And when Rav Nachman comes and challenges it, Rav Baravin defends Rav Sheshat as follows. It says, If Shad Rav Amram, v'chol gedolei hador, yatveh ki amad Rav Sheshat ahashemata. says, listen, Rav Amram and all the great sages were there when Rav Sheshat was, said his halacha. 
And in fact, they asked your question, Rav Nachman, and they answered it. They brought up the same question. Well, you're not, you're not the only one that knows the Mishnah. And they answered, They said, doesn't necessarily mean she gets nothing. It means, this is a Mekach Ta'ut. I paid 200 for something that's worth 100. That's what the groom's claim is. But really, for sure, he would have to pay 100. And now you come and say, oh, I have a question uh, that Mekach Ta'ut means zero. No, we already dealt with your question and the great rabbis already answered it. And therefore, you have no claim. Rav Sheshat is correct. Okay, good. So now all that is what happened. And now Rav Nachman is left there. He has, right, his question has been rejected. But then comes Rava. This is why Rava is relevant. We're going to see here how he changed his mind. Rava is reflecting on this earlier conversation and he said, you know, Rav Nachman's question was really a good question because when you say this is a mistaken transaction, that usually means it's completely mistaken and I want to pay zero. And so we really do have a good question. Rav Sheshat, based on the Braita, said that if he didn't know, you have to pay a hundred. And this Mishnah says you pay zero. So, in fact, Rav Nachman is, does have a good, a good question, and we reject Rav Sheshat. All right, well, you can reject Rav Sheshat, but still doesn't help us because we have the Braita. Remember the Braita about the definition of slander? So, you can reject Rav Sheshat from a Mishnah, but what are you going to do with the Braita? Oh, here's what we'll do. Teres Vamachi will reread the Braita. Im yesh aidim shezinta tachtav biskila. If the witnesses come and say that uh, she cheated on him after the Kiddushin, then, yeah, that's adultery, she gets sekila. Zinta meikara velo kilum. If she had, had bi'ah before the Kiddushin altogether, then zero. Pays zero. So that's in accordance with the Mishnah above even though we reject Rav Sheshat. Uh, um, but if it's a case of Mukat Aetz, uh, then she would get 100. In this rereading of the of that Baraita, we're adding yet another case. Uh, that re-reading, that originally, the Baraita said that if the witnesses said that she was Mizaneh, before Kiddushin, then she gets um, uh, then she gets nothing. But now we're reading it to say no. If she had bi'ah before Kiddushin, she gets nothing. So what case does she get a hundred? Oh, that's mukat etz. In other words, mukat etz is better than if she had bi'ah beforehand. If she didn't tell them that she had bi'ah beforehand, that's total mekach ta'ut. You're with another guy before and you never told me and you're not a bitula. Forget it. I don't want to pay you anything. But if it's mukat etz, then she's less liable. She was not with another man. So it's true she doesn't have bitulim and she hid it from him. He, she should have told her, so I was not, not going to pay 200 for not having bitulim. But in that case, it's uh, she didn't do anything wrong, nothing bad. So it wouldn't be any worse than almana. And she should, in fact, get 100. So according to Rava's rereading of the Baraita, Mukat Aetz, when he didn't know beforehand, does get 100. Now, earlier, the original statement of Rava said that in the opinion of Rabbanan against the Bimeir, if he didn't know that she was Mukat Aetz, she gets nothing. 
but now it's a hundred. Therefore, Rava must have changed his mind and from nothing to a hundred. It's still not the same as Rami Barchama, who said that she gets two hundred, but here at least she does get a hundred if uh, she was Mukatetz and he didn't know beforehand. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.